Hey guys, this is Real Talk with Tracy, and what do I want to talk about today? I want to talk about narcissists. I want to talk about toxic people in our life and why we should really look and see who they are instead of wishing they were different, instead of trying to change them. Instead of jumping through hoops and trying to do this, you know, I call it like the seal with the ball on the neck. Have you ever, a ball on the neck, ball on the nose. Have you ever been to like um, SeaWorld and you see the little seal and he's balancing the ball and like trying to impress the crowd? It's like, that's how I feel like I've had to be around narcissistic people, starting with my parents, my parents. My aunt and uncle that raised me, and it was kept a family secret till I was 12. They were both very narcissistic people in different ways. So my uncle that raised me was all about himself. He would constantly put down other people in a very cruel, demeaning way and laugh at it. He would do this to make up for his own insecurities and make himself feel elevated above other people. But as a kid, I didn't see that. What I saw was my father telling me that I'm lazy and I'm fat and I'm stupid and I'm not going to amount to anything. I don't remember when I was a kid, my father ever looking at me and saying, you're beautiful. You can do it. You could do whatever you want. You could be whatever you want to be. I don't remember that. I remember him tickling me till I was crying in pain. I remember hitting him. I remember begging him to stop. I remember him standing over me and laughing. I remember him pushing me to the ground and every time I would try to get up, He would push me down again and he would laugh and he would say, oh, you know, you have a frown lines. How funny. Like I was a toddler and I was already getting those little frown lines in between your eyebrow because I was so frustrated because this big adult who had power over me was pushing me down to the ground or tickling me to the point that I was in so much pain I was literally begging him and crying and hitting him and he wouldn't stop. So that was my father, which I found out was my actually my uncle. And he was always kind of tuned out. Even if he was around, he had his little transistor radio in his pocket, listening to sporting events. Um, He was a school teacher. I would be compared to his students. I remember there was one student, I won't say her last name, but her first name was Martha. And he would say like, why don't you spell like she does? She has such great spelling and your spelling is terrible. Okay, well, I was dyslexic. So I had a learning disorder, but I actually had a very high IQ. And, you know, it was never explained to me till later that I had kind of like a learning disability, even though I was very bright. Now, my aunt that raised me, and I knew her as mom, 
on the other hand, she wanted to have kind of like, you know, the man that plays the accordion with the monkey that dances. <laughs> have you ever seen him on a street corner? It's like in the olden days, they would have the monkey that's playing the little music box and the man on the corner. You know, she would like throw me in front of the piano for her friends and have me play and sing and oh look how my daughter performs look how look how great she is she's my daughter I taught her this you know I was an extension of who she was and she was a very needy person and really adopted me to fill herself up because I remember constantly I almost want to say daily she would ask me my whole childhood, who's the best mommy in the whole world? Who's the best mommy? Who's the best mommy in the whole world? You are. You are. You're the best mommy in the whole world. And it was all about filling her up. And it was all about her having control. And even when it came to art projects or projects as a kid, I remember her taking over and like, doing a lot of my homework. I remember there was something, maybe it was like fourth or fifth grade that I had to do on a big circle. And it was, I'm sorry, too many people are texting me. Damn it. Anyway, um, it was a big circle and it was like going back to the caveman days and it was like different generations, some kind of age progression thing. And you had to cut out pictures out of a magazine and you had to make this collage. And she got all involved like it was hers, like this is my collage. And I'm watching her doing my work, passing it off as if I did it, and her taking so much pride and so much credit for me getting an A on this project because she's really the one that did it instead of allowing me to be myself and do it. She didn't want to teach me how to cook. Because what if I were to make a mistake? So she wouldn't let me cook. It was all about everything being a certain way. And it was really hard. And after her nervous breakdown, when I was 12 and she started drinking and doing drugs and everything, and I started developing breasts, I got my period. It was like, well... I wish I was younger. And she started looking at me more as competition and more as a woman. And instead of her little girl who she could show off, who sings or tap dances like Shirley Temple, she was looking at me kind of as a threat. And I remember her coming home one day and saying, you know, it's been all about you. And I want to make it really clear now, moving forward, it's going to be all about me everything's going to be about me. And I didn't know at the moment what that meant. What did that mean? Well, she would leave sometimes for a week. She would literally leave me in this huge house in Malibu Lake with all these huge windows with no drapes up on a hill, which is where we lived. The next house was like quite a bit away. And I'd be all by myself I would be literally all by myself and she would leave and sometimes not come home for a week or she would come home sometimes in the middle of the night and I heard her clip clop of high heels 
and she would be laughing and drunk and she would come home with a bunch of men in the middle of the night, pull me out of bed. I'd be in my nightgown, 12 year old little girl pulls me out of bed. This is my kid. She's going to play the piano. So again, I was the monkey on the street corner or I was the seal balancing the ball on my nose. So needless to say, these people don't change. You cannot make them into better people. I also have my biological father who came into my life when I was 18. Now he walked out on my mother, my original mother and I, when I was an infant, he just didn't want the responsibility. And then he wound up signing me over and just giving me up for adoption. And he wound up doing this again uh, with my half-brother. And then he wound up having two other kids, girls, that he never took care of. Never gave any kind of child support. Complete narcissist. All wrapped up in himself. What he has. What he can accumulate. How much money he has in the bank. What things look like. What kind of car he could drive to impress people that are strangers. More concerned about impressing strangers than his own children. More concerned about getting the latest TV when he just got a new TV a year or two ago than doing something for his children. Everything was about him. So the picture that you see on the opening was a picture of me about three or four years ago when I was visiting him in another state. I was having chest pain in the middle of the night. I was staying at a condo near where he lives and I thought I was having a heart attack and I go to the emergency room, which is five minutes from his house. Guess how long it took him to get there to see me guys? Because he had holiday parties to go to and he was busy posting things on eBay he buys a lot of used clothes and posts used clothes and things he finds at estate sales. He didn't show up to the freaking hospital for seven hours. Seven freaking hours. And I was with my sister-in-law and she kept saying, where is he? And I said, I don't, I, I don't know. Then the next day, he calls. He doesn't come by. He calls to tell me that he's at a party, he's eating pulled pork sandwiches, him and his wife are having a great time. Meanwhile, I'm laying in bed, I'm being fasted, I have IVs going in and out of both arms, they've discovered I have coronary artery disease, and I'm waiting to get a CT with contrast to find out that I have coronary artery disease, which guess genetically who I got that from, from him, because he has heart problems. So by the third day, I'm just bawling. I'm crying. I, I my sister-in-law had to, had to go home. I told my husband not to come because I'm out of state and he's, he had just started a new job 
And there I am by myself and I am absolutely bawling. I am bawling uncontrollably and crying. And I finally called him and I said, can you please come see me? And he came in and he sat across the room, like far away in the corner. And I said, can you come over here and hold my hand? And he came over. I said, sit on the bed. And he sat on the bed and he held my hand and looked away. And I could tell that he was completely uncomfortable. And I realized that he has no capacity for caring about me whatsoever. And the only reason he really had me in his life was because I was pushed on him when I was 18 by his sister because she wanted him to find me. And over the years, he paid for a couple cruises, which my uncle that raised me was super, 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 super cheap and would never do anything like that. So I thought that meant he cared. But all it was was a little bit of something to wash away his guilt. He didn't care. He didn't care at all, but it was a bragging point because we would go on a cruise and he'd be like, oh, this is my daughter. You know, I'm taking, I took her on this cruise. So he could feel like he did something with a bunch of strangers talking about himself, but they don't know the story. They don't know that he left when I was like not even a year old. They don't know that he gave me away for adoption. They don't know that he never paid child support, that he was never around. They don't see any of this. They just see this man who's taking his beautiful daughter on a cruise. What a wonderful father. Oh, Papa. Right? So everything was about how everything looked. So needless to say, I don't talk to him anymore because he has no capacity for real love, for empathy, He doesn't know what charity is. He doesn't understand. I remember being in Vegas and buying somebody some food, some homeless person, and him asking me, like, why would you do that? I said, because they're hungry, but you don't know them. I don't have to know them. They're a fellow human being. They're, I'm a human. They're a human. If someone's hungry, I'm going to buy them a sandwich. That's just how it goes. You know, putting the coins in the little thing at the grocery store, maybe for the blind or for people that are crippled or have polio or whatever, his wife would be like, why would you put a quarter in there? I said, because I like to help other people. But why? And what do you mean, why? It feels good. Yeah, but you don't know them. But you don't have to know them. This is what feels good. But both of them. No empathy, no compassion, no caring, no depth. Before my husband had his operation, which was a maxillectomy, which means he got his upper half of his jaw and teeth, that bone completely removed, and half of his palate and part of his sinus cavity due to a tumor, he was in the same state as my bio dad. He was working, he was doing some kind of a, um, an event with the company that he was working for and he was right near where my bio dad lived. And 
My bio dad never took the time to see my husband. My husband called him each day. Are we going to meet for coffee? Are we going to meet for dinner? And there was always excuses. My husband, who was going in for a surgery that could have really just almost ended his life. You know, my husband, who has no father because his dad died of cancer when we first got together, got zero support from my biological father, who he's known for years. Zero support. The guy couldn't get his ass in the car and come over and meet with my husband, not even for coffee, nothing. He only wanted to come over to see the suite, which was a really big deal, where my husband's company was having this, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lost for words, but like a trade show, okay? So they were in this very, very, very expensive suite. He only wanted to come over if he could see the suite. And my husband said, you know, I'm new with this company. I can't have people coming in. Um, it's by appointment only. And so there was nothing in it for him. And it's like, well, if I can't see the suite, I mean, I've seen you before. I don't need to meet you for dinner. So this was right before my husband's surgery. No feeling for my husband at all. Nothing. No support. Zero. When my husband got laid off from his job, talking to my bio dad on the phone, just conversing, he thought I should go get food stamps. <laughs> what? Where are the people that are always doing for other people? Okay, first of all, we're not desperate and we don't need food stamps. And secondly, if somebody you love gets laid off, you offer to buy them groceries. But he thought we should just go get food stamps. It never dawned on him in his mind that maybe he could send me a gift card to Ralph's. Why? Because he would actually have to take some money out of his pocket and do something for someone other than himself. And it's all about himself. He told me so many times, oh, my pension's huge. Okay, well, good for you. Uh, I have so much money in my savings account and I don't even have to touch it. Okay, well, good for you. And I was driving a car that was over 10 years old. And he would say to me, when are you going to get rid of that old sled? When are you going to get rid of that old sled? And I said, you know, I don't want a big car payment. Oh, that car's, you know, it's a piece of crap. When are you going to get rid of that old sled? And I said to him on the phone once, well, you want to help me with the down payment? And he's like, no, why would I want to do that? I said, gee, because I'm your daughter. And then he tries to push off his wife's old car on me and ask me for car payments. So, I mean, the guy is just, he, he's, he's nobody I want to know. He's no one I want to be friends with. I looked at him through some kind of rose-colored glasses because he treated us to a couple cruises and I've always wanted to have a close relationship with a father. I think every girl wants to have a father and a mother in her life that loves her. Every person wants to feel loved and connected. But I was trying to get blood out of a stone.
And he would brag and talk about what he was going to do for one of my other half sisters or stuff he would have, or stuff he did that he never really did, but he would talk it up like he was going to do this and that. Well, have you told her you're going to help her? Well, no, she has to come and ask me. Well, then why are you bragging to me that you're going to do all this when you really have no intentions of doing it unless she comes and begs you, you know? So what I'm trying to say to you people is if you have toxic family, narcissistic family in your life, stop trying to get them to change. Stop waiting. Stop pounding your head into the wall and wondering why your head hurts. Stop it. Stop it right now. I'm not kidding. Stop it. The best thing in my life has been cutting these people off and letting them go. Seriously. Because unless you can accept them for how they are, and they frankly treat us like shit, unless you can accept it, the rude comments, uh, no empathy, you know, like you tell somebody, here's a good example. You tell someone your dog is dying. Most people with empathy would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Do you want me to come over? Is there anything you need? You know, can I be there for you? What happened? But you tell a narcissist and they're going to be like, Oh, you know what? I got to go to the store. Yeah, but I just told you about my dog. My dog is dying. Oh, you'll get another one. It's not a big deal. So that's a very narcissistic type person. They don't acknowledge. They don't feel what you feel. They don't care. And no matter how you try to jump up and down and get them to care, nope, they're not going to care. So I have had friends, people that I've met, and I fall into this trap. Um, and I now, now what I do is I actually really listen and I really see who people are. I remember meeting a woman, really nice woman. She thought I was just fantastic. And she said, we should get together more often. You know, I really just don't have that many friends. And I, I said, why? Why wouldn't you have that many friends? She says, I'm somewhat of a bitch. You know, I hate my mother. Um, and I said, well, I don't really like my mother either. Oh, yeah, your mother was a bitch too. Okay, so she's already telling me she has no friends because she's a mean person. So why would I be a fool to want to be friends with this woman? So you know what I did? <laughs> I didn't pursue the friendship because I knew what I was in for. I knew what I was in for. There had been other people that I met over the years. I remember when we were living in a different area. It was about 20 four years ago, we were living at a townhouse that we had bought. And I met this couple from Chicago and they were, you know, chatty and kind of fun to be with. But she was always talking about 
how they were going out with different couples and then they would get bored and then we would blow them off like, we're just sick of them. We just don't want to see them anymore. And she was talking about what a pain in the ass her mother was. She was going on and on and on and on, gossipy, bitching about people. But her husband was really fun and funny. And my husband really liked her husband. So even though she really wasn't my cup of tea, we started double dating with them. And then one day, she just decided she was on to the next new couple, new project, whatever. Blew me off. This was someone who wasn't comfortable hugging. This was someone who told me who she was. But I did not listen. (laughs) You know, if you go out with a man and he tells you about all the women he's cheated on, he's going to do it to you. Don't think that you're so special that you're going to magically change him. Listen to who people are because people will tell you exactly who they are. And instead of trying to change them or thinking, oh, no, that can't be, believe them. Believe them. If you meet a dog and dogs could talk, if you meet a dog at a rescue and the dog came up to you and said, I'm here because I've bit all of my past owners. And I look at the dog and I'm like, but you're so cute and you're so fluffy and I'm such a good person and I have so much love in my heart. Certainly you won't bite me. And then you take that dog home. What do you think's going to happen? That dog's going to bite you in the ass. And you're going to wonder why? Well, the dog already told you. I'm here because I've bitten all my owners. Because that's my temperament. That's what I do. And I will eventually come around and I will do it to you. So what I want to say to you guys is, whatever you're dealing with, whether it's family, narcissist, whether it's your siblings, whether it's someone you're dating, uh, friends, the best thing you can do is walk through the door and then go, go like this. Can you hear this? I just shut the door. Shut the door. Why are you going to keep trying with somebody who doesn't appreciate you? Why? The way they treat you has nothing to do with how valuable of a person you are. But to let this abuse continue to go on is ludicrous and crazy. I want to tell you there is a guy named Andrew. He has a YouTube channel called Narc Daily. I listen to him all the time. He has helped me to overcome the wanting of making it work with my uncle or with my father or with a half-sibling or with a friend that's treating me like shit. He has helped me to see my value. And I am so thankful because he's so knowledgeable and he gives a daily education 
a narcissist and what they're about and what they'll do and how they will treat us. And he has pulled me out of a deep hole. I've never met him. I don't know him, but I appreciate him so much. And I would say to you guys, please look him up. He is a great source of inspiration. You need to remove yourself from toxic situations. You will find other people in your life that love you. You need to love yourself enough to move on, shut the door. Anyway, guys, you've been listening to Hi Guys, Real Talk with Tracy. I have a podcast now in 85 countries. I think I'm on 12 channels. I would encourage you to share with your friends and to listen to my podcast on many, 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 many different topics. Also, I have a YouTube channel and there's all sorts of fun stuff on there. I've animated my dogs. I show you cleaning tips, how to quit smoking. Just talk about all sorts of stuff, but it's the same the same name as I use here on YouTube. It's called Hi Guys, Real Talk with Tracy, and I would really 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 appreciate it if you could subscribe to my YouTube channel because one day I hope to get monetized. And that means I'll make a few pennies when people listen. But mostly I do this because I want to inspire, entertain, motivate, let you guys know that you're not alone in this thing that we call life. You're really not. And there should be more people that speak out against narcissism. There should be more people that have the courage to walk away and pull themselves out of such an abusive situation. They never get better. They will never love us how we want. They are not capable. It's like asking someone to drive a car that has no steering wheel. There's no steering wheel. So they can't. They can't possibly drive the car. Anyway, you guys, take care. Please feel free to leave me comments. I love to hear from you all. And remember, you're not alone in this crazy thing we call life. All right, guys. Thank you for listening.